Hi, I'm Alan Alexandrov, and I am the Senior Director of the Global Summitry Project. The various activities of the Global Summitry Project can be found at globalsummitryproject.com, and there you will find our e-journal, Global Summitry. We have uh, a YouTube channel in which we interview uh, various experts, and we also have the blog Rising Brixham there. And finally, we have the three podcast series, the Now series about current uh, activities, the Shaking the Global Order series, which really focuses, at least at, in series two, on the rising tensions between China and the United States, and the uh, Global Summitry Dialogue series. Today, I'm pleased to invite into the virtual studio once again, Paula Subaki. This is Summit Dialogue, episode 20, uh, an interview with her on the upcoming Italian G20 Summit. This uh, per we're, period we're now entering into is chock full of uh, different summits that are occurring between now and the end of the year. In fact, um, the most recent is within the last week, in fact, we are uh, able to uh, witness the um, Earth Day Summit, which has been organized by uh, President Biden, which included well over 40 uh, different uh, leaders from around the world. My hope today in uh, sitting down with Paula is to uh, examine the coming prospects of the G20 uh, summit in uh, Rome, Italy, which will occur on October 30th and 31st. Paula is a professor of international economics and she is chair of the advisory board at the Global Policy Institute at uh, Queen Mary College, University of London. And she is also an adjunct professor at the Department of Political and Social Sciences at the Ver University of Bologna. Previously, she was the director of international economic research at the Royal Institute of International uh, Affairs, known as Chatham House, for over 10 years. She is the founder and director of Essential Economics, an independent economic research service. She writes widely about global financial issues, and her most recent book, uh, which was published by Yale University Press in 2020, is entitled The Cost of Free Money. So let me uh, welcome once again uh, Paula Subaki into the virtual studio. So welcome, Paula. It's great to have you with us again. Thank you, Alan. It's a pleasure. All right. So, uh, Paula, I wanted to uh, speak with you uh, uh, because um, Italy is, is going to host the G20 summit, and the summit is scheduled for Rome 
October 30th and 31st. It's one of a significant number of very uh, important summits that are going to occur uh, this fall, including the COP26, which uh, Italy is, of course, co-chair of in terms of climate change. Also, uh, COP15 on biodiversity, which is occurring in Kunming, China, now I think in late September, uh, October. Um, but but uh, importantly, we've got the G20 summit in here in Rome. And I understand it's supposed to be um, um, in person. Is, is that likely to happen, Paula? What's, what, what are, what's the situation there? Uh, I I don't know actually, um, Alan. Um, I think it's the hope is then is it will happen in person, and possibly it will happen. But at the moment, everything is very much up in the air. Italy is still, as we speak, is still uh, in uh, is actually starting to um, uh, really relax the, the restrictions mm-hmm. uh, around the. Uh, COVID-19 uh, emergency, um, it's possible then by end of October, there will be, it will be uh, easier uh, mm-hmm. for, for people to meet in person. One thing, however, um, is pretty sure is that it won't be, if it happens in person, it won't be the usual G20 summit with a lot of um, uh, sort of fringe events and a lot of people. It would be right. pretty much right. restricted. It would be very much controlled uh, mm-hmm. with a lot of uh, precautions and measures in place. And I think it would be restricted to the leaders. It's interesting that Rome is the place um, where there will be the, the, the summit will be held. And I guess normally under normal circumstances, possibly Rome won't be the best location because of the difficulties in providing the kind of security that is necessary mm-hmm. for a G20 summit. And I guess is done because it's easier for the Italian government. Sure. It's a, and it's really, it's, and possibly obviously there will be fewer people than usual, fewer t- tourists, and, uh, and it's a much limited traffic, and that will make easier to to control the uh, G20 sort of participants. But oh, okay. again, if mm. it happens in person, it will be a much reduced um, event. Mm-hmm. than in the usual, okay. uh, the, the, the previous ones. Now, originally, the planning that was going on with respect to preparation for the G20 summit was with uh, Prime Minister Conti. Um, and of course, as you're well aware, uh, the prim- uh, his government uh, collapsed. Uh, and uh, the Prime Minister today is uh, Mario Draghi, um, or as many uh, media folks will call him, Super Mario, um, and um, the question is, how much has the um, this kind of endemic politics of Italy um, hurt uh, the Italian uh, G20 uh, summit efforts? Um, I don't think actually there was a direct impact on the G20 because, as you know, the G20 is a process rather than Mm-hmm. Uh, one-off uh, or an event and uh, and so the process was already in place and the process started more or less in the second half of the 2019 and it oh, really? started okay. to prepare for this year presidency because uh, we know that G20 has become a much more complex uh, process than mm-hmm. and with many different streams 
than uh, than it was even at the time of the global financial crisis. So, um, and once the process is in place, it it doesn't really it, it, it somehow it lives of his on of his own life. Um, having said that, um, uh, I think at the moment the concern and the focus of the government is on this uh, uh, recovery plan, the um, sort of uh, plan for. Uh, that the recovery plans and obviously is linked to the uh, EU new next generation um, fund and uh, and so basically how to restart the economy coming out of this emergency and how to ensure long term uh, uh, growth for uh, the Italian economy within the context obviously of the European Union. This is very much the focus of the government. And obviously that doesn't mean that the G20 is a second thought, but I guess it's the G20 is moving very much along with this concern and uh, and work around how we come out of the pandemic and I how see. can we can ensure then the, we don't make the mistake made at the time of the global financial crisis, but we provide enough support to the economy to ensure then we maintain a long, you know, we the recovery is not short-lived. It's sustained, or, yeah. As, uh, or, or, you know, fragmented, but mm-hmm. it will continue over the okay. long term. Now, the government initially described it and uh, as um, three, div- devised around three pillars, people, planet, and prosperity. But that, unfortunately, strikes me as a kind of classic G20 slogan. You know, what does it mean? What does it have any any kind of focus, meaning for the um, preparation for the G20 summit and all the activities that are going on? Um, I think it got a meaning. And the meaning is it, the idea is to uh, have these three pillars um, around the agenda. So basically the agenda, the G20 agenda focuses on the planet, on people and uh, prosperity. So that means uh, inequality, resilience, um, climate, uh, environmental sustainability and long-term growth. And I which see. are the classics, the G- G20 themes. So, so again, uh, if you remember back in 2009, the Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh um, summit talked about this uh, uh, strong, sustainable, yeah. and yeah, uh, balanced growth, uh, growth, yeah. balanced yeah. growth, and then yeah. we added something also, uh, uh, you know, more equal growth was added in uh, 2015 when we started to think in terms not just uh, economic growth as a big box, but all the aspects of economic growth and the distributive effect an impact of economic growth on different mm-hmm. group of people. And, uh, you know, diversity becomes a very important element of this, uh, of this agenda. So um, the PPP or the people, planet and uh, prosperity <laughs> was devised actually uh, before the pandemic. In fact, the first time I heard it was in the early 2020, we again talking to uh, people in Rome and, um, and actually it turned out to be a good uh, sort of, uh, yes, yeah, slogan, if you like, because it is, uh, or, but it's a good way to capture the post-pandemic world. Mm. So again, we need to 
give resilience and, and think about resilience in order to score on these three uh, on the trace pillar. So it's not enough to think about prosperity without thinking how about how this prosperity plays out for everybody and not just for the few of you know the, the lucky ones. And so people means again um, people again it's looking at inequality among countries but also within countries. And then again prosperity without thinking about the planet is short-lived. So in mm -hmm. other words, economic growth without thinking about the impact of those of that growth on environmental sustainability is a short-term, as long as short-lived uh, proposition, if you like. So these three elements are a good way to capture uh, what I think is and needs to be an integrated agenda where okay. you combine the economy with many other aspects of society. Um, what do you think uh, the Prime Minister um, hopes to accomplish? Is there anything specific in terms of moving yardsticks, in terms of either uh, growth or, as you pointed out, uh, concerns about inequality within uh, na national economies, etc.? Is there something that you know, he particularly hopes to drive other leaders to uh, agree to? Is there anything um, on his I agenda? I think the agenda is very clear. The agenda, Italy's agenda is there. And I think uh, in, in theory, um, um, I imagine the prime minister uh, wants to achieve uh, what has, uh, has been set as the agenda for this year uh, summit. Um, if I elaborate and I read more through the, through the lines, I, was, I suspect that uh, being an economist himself and mm -hmm. uh, having been... At, a number of many G20 summits as the president of the European Central Bank. So in other words, in the finance uh, track, track, I yeah. think it, for him is sort of natural home is the finance track as opposed to the Sherpa track. Mm -hmm. And and I think uh, an area where we see um, some interest in development is uh, uh, sustainable finance uh, green finance, and these mm -hmm. are all. Um, this is all um, a policy measures that are very, very core to what the Italian Prime Minister Mario Draghi is trying to do in Italy. You know, with his recovery fund. So again, switch into a more green economy, digitalization, and so on. Mm -hmm. um, and um, so that's it's one thing, and you can see. Um, this very clearly in the communique or the last communique of the latest communique of the uh, finance minister and central bank governors that they met during the spring meetings right. that week in, uh, in Washington, D.C. And uh, there is an element which is important in terms of um, maintaining, try to... Um, avoid a debt crisis in emerging, uh, in developing countries and poor countries. And this is where the G20 have done quite substantial work. Again, good steps possibly needs, no, definitely there is more to be done. But again, the uh, debt suspension services initiative and the common framework are interesting uh, and important uh, initiatives. Then at the very least backstop 
for the moment um, uh, some critical situations. Um, and, and, and again, as you said, uh, Italy this year chair uh, COP26. And so yes. obviously yes. there is a link between this year G20 and COP26. And that was I very see. clear from the beginning. And at the same time, the, 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 the UK is, is chairing the G7. So I think the environment, once again, will be the uh, sort of link between the G7 and the G20 and, and obviously with COP26 in the middle. Um, but let me, let me add an, a, another point, a point we discussed in a previous podcast when you talk, we talk about uh, the forthcoming Italian presidency. That was before the uh, US election. And mm. I said at the time, at the end of the day, the success of the G20 depends on who, on who sits in the White House. Because obviously, uh, having now President Biden makes uh, the, um, uh, makes the, uh, uh, the, the G20, I mean, makes more plausible the G20 dialogue and make me make make more plausible achieving some of the targets because certainly in some areas like climate change we've seen it very recently and so having Biden makes the Italian president the, the task of the Italian president much easier than when his predecessors was in the White House. Right, right. And in fact, at the time of this uh, podcast recording, uh, we've been witness uh, this weekend to the uh, to the summit uh, that the president of the United States, Joe Biden, had called with the participation of uh, around 40 leaders and many, many uh, around climate change. And, you know, it, it's in quotes, uh, interesting, of course, that this administration talks about it as now others talk about it as a crisis, not some kind of, you know, event, maybe we will deal with it, maybe we won't deal with it. This this is now, you know, raised uh, very much at the, up to the level of uh, uh, political leadership in, in a whole variety of uh, settings. And of course, including our friends uh, from China, Xi Jinping having delivered his own um, uh, uh, speech there on on uh, Earth Day on the Earth Day summit. So, you know, it's raised the whole profile of of uh, climate change and climate change action. In and in last. fact, if climate change before um, before Biden became president uh, was a sort of a not topic, is something that could not be discussed. A bit like trade. Now, climate change is the glue. Um, mm-hmm that pulled together the United States, Europe, and China is one of the few areas where there is some kind of convergence. And I imagine that will be used and will be uh, sort of um, uh, enhanced and, and, and in, at, the time, uh, at the time of the G20 summit. So this is an area where we can create a, a very important area where there is convergence and where there, there can be some tangible progress. But it's also true that the G20, at the end of the day, remains a, a crisis committee. And, and again, if we believe that climate is a crisis, then again, the G20 is acting on this crisis, as much as it's acting on the crisis, on the debt crisis in developing countries. Mm-hmm. So again, the G20 is at its best when it's fighting a crisis, but it's still not quite 
there in terms of crisis prevention. Fair enough. Yep, exactly. Uh, so let me let me turn to something that you identified. It was actually, I picked it up from a tweet that you had uh, done not too long ago, which was uh, Italy's decision to reestablish the so-called Sustainable Finance Study Group, SFSG, within the, fi- the G20 finance track, as opposed to the G20 Sherpa track and G20 finance track, and in fact, to uh, return it or to turn it to a working group. Uh, so maybe you can describe uh, what the role of the working group uh, might well be and, and uh, uh, note also um, what you think this role for this working group um, is likely to be in the near future. Uh, this is actually a reinstatement of a working group that was there before, mm-hmm. and is a working group which is chaired by the United States and China. And this is, was very much at the time a, 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 a key concern at the time, and one of the key topics at the time of the Chinese uh, G20 presidency in 2016. So again, mm-hmm. it was green finance, and there was a lot of stress on green finance. Mm-hmm. So. Um, sustainable development is very much, uh, sorry, sustainable finance is very much thinking about how we can turn financial instruments into uh, tools to um, help um, uh, mitigate the uh, climate, uh, the climate risk. Mm-hmm. Um, this was very much the buzzword at the spring meetings uh, at the beginning of this month, so the month of April. And uh, it's very much the thinking of, again, central bank governors and uh, finance ministers, of which obviously Mario Draghi is one of them, although <laughs> now he's a prime minister, but that right. is very much the thinking. And the former governor of Bank of Canada and former governor of Bank of England, Mark Carney, Carney. is very yeah. much in this in the thing. So again, sustainable finance means exactly this, how we can manage. And it's actually quite complex. There is a lot of fintech into this. Mm-hmm. And there is a need for a, a sort of obviously regulations because this is an area that needs to be thought about it and and regulated in i mean obviously without constraining but with a clear clear boundaries to avoid the usual uh uh um, sort of uh problems or, or or failures we can we we see when there is a, a lack of clear rules mm-hmm. and when international coordination is very important because we are talking about the effective international capital flows. And um, so there is, and where um, uh, innovation, financial innovation is very, very important. So again, innovation in issuing uh, green bonds. So, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of thinking about that. Um, and uh, and so, and obviously that requires uh, some kind of um, financial, sorry, uh, international thinking and, and coordination and cooperation. And that is the purpose of this working group okay. and is very, very welcome. And of course, there are other working group within the finance track, track yep. but they do different things. So they do, you know, they have uh, inclusive finance and they have uh, um, other, 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 other finance, uh, you know, other working group, then they focus on different aspects. 
uh, within this big framework, which is the, the finance track. Yeah, no, no. And in fact, uh, there is the Africa Advisory Group, which I assume targets uh, African uh, financing. Uh, uh, there is, of course, the Framework Working Group, which is reasonably well known. There's a whole series of, of these working groups in the finance track, which you, in effect, describe some of the activities and concerns that they have. There is, of course, the wider uh, group of uh, working groups as well, would not just confined to the finance track, which includes education, health, trade and investment, development, digital economy task force, anti-corruption, labor, energy transition, climate sustainability, environment, culture, tourism, academics, informal gathering, agriculture. I mean, you know, it's hard to put all the groups together, but what's the purpose here? Uh, this is the the, the the usual problem at every G, G20, and every year the, the, there's the usual discussion. It would be better to have a very focused agenda and drive this agenda, not try to get too much. And uh, and every presidency does exactly the same mistake and try to put too much stuff and mm -hmm. to satisfy uh, even the domestic uh, uh, sort of constituencies. Um, what is uh, important to them. And obviously tourism is an, an innovation that Italy has introduced for obvious reasons, because tourism is important for Italy and culture is important for Italy. Absolutely. Um, but again, it, the risk is to have a, such a big uh, agenda, then the, we lose focus. Um, but at the end of the day, as every year, there are a few critical themes, which are normally critical because they are uh, areas of crisis, then they uh, get picked up and becomes, if you like, the main uh, stream of the, the that okay. year's G20, as opposed to this, uh, you know, big uh, group of different uh, um, uh, areas and problems. Well, and and indeed, um, Italy is hosting a host <laughs> of ministerial meetings because be, beyond the working groups, there, there are these ministerial meetings, um, which, you know, for Italy um, in the next few months includes agriculture, health, culture, tourism. You mentioned the importance of tourism and culture for Italy, environment, climate and energy, trade, labor and education, foreign affairs and development. And finally, in fact, there's a ministerial meeting in Brindisi, uh, in late June, which I take it is taking up uh, the question of humanitarian assistance uh, in that ministerial. I mean, again, is it just you know? Do they just gather and uh, uh, and 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 speak about the issue, or is there some real progress that some of these ministerial meetings can achieve? Um, uh, you know, it's it's quite the alphabet soup of of, of ministerial meetings. Uh, well, Alan, there are two issues here. Uh, one is, and it comes from the fact that Italy is effectively the first country that runs a, a G20, uh, um, then, then a country they knew from the beginning that it had to run a, a virtual G20. Because obviously when Saudi Arabia took over in, in 1st December 2019, could obviously envisage that most of the G20 of that year would have ended up uh, virtually, but Italy right. knew that. And there is a sort of, of um, 
uh, easy uh, route here because it's much easier to organize all these meetings virtually than moving people and providing accommodation, organizing security, and the whole jamboree we have around these <laughs> meetings. And obviously, plus the budget, and there is, and we all know how much savings organization have made uh, over the last year by mm-hmm. not organizing actual meetings. Yeah. actual meetings. So yeah. we can talk to each other because we are on 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 the on the Zoom platform. It would be much more difficult if I had to fly to Toronto. Absolutely, although so we would enjoy it. <laughs> and, and and this ended up creating this numerous meetings and I'm amazed myself and every time I I follow the the the, the G20, Italy's G20 there is a, yet a new meeting on yes. a different topic so I think that creates a proliferation which was actually somehow uh, facilitated by the current situation by the mm-hmm. fact that it's virtual and not and not physical and mm-hmm. um, uh, that's the, the 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 first consideration and uh, and the second consideration is uh, linked to um, again the, the how you manage a, a complex agenda and uh, without constantly uh, putting new things and new themes and you think they are important at the international level and that is something that uh, requires some kind of discipline that is difficult to achieve and and then we have again now we are. Um, it's well, more than 10 years than the, the G20 in the format of uh, a leader summit is mm-hmm. uh, moving mm-hmm. along. And so there are also legacy of previous uh, G20. So you got working groups and then you need to carry forward because they've been established and you cannot stop. And, um, and nobody will actually take the responsibility of saying, oh, this working group doesn't work. Let's 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 let it, know, go. Let, yeah, let it let go. Let it go. And because yeah. no, it's not nice. It's not nice. And so that means you have this legacy that you carry over, and to which you add all the new stuff you want to do. And so I don't know what will happen next year if Indonesia will have to carry this big bag of uh, <laughs> meetings that have been created around the Italian G20. Well, and and just one final kind of institutional or process element, of course, are the the so-called engagement groups, uh, which, of course, include uh, the business 20, the B20, the labor 20, the L20, the girl 20, the T20, which is the think tank you and I and many others have been involved in the think tank. um, uh, 20, and you have had a role in the W20, which is the women's 20 and then you know from time to time there's been the c20 which is the civil society 20 do you think that these engagement groups do they add add uh dimension to the g20 or again what's the role of the engagement groups um yeah the the problem is we have this the same problem with the proliferation and the expansion of the g20 agenda we have all these the engagement group then they are good in the sense that they bring together uh, different streams and different uh, components of our society and engage with the G20 in a dialogue, which mm-hmm. is very important. But also they create a lot of noise. And then sometimes it's very difficult yeah. to really see the, 
what are the, the, see identify the critical problems from this amount of noise and 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 it, this doesn't mean i don't want to sound negative because a lot of these um, um the issues that are discussed in all these uh, um, engagement groups are all very important but sometimes they are not relevant for a multilateral dialogue focus on more or less uh, the economic and financial issues and all the issues that are related to that which is the 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 remit of the G20 mm-hmm. so and sometimes yeah we got issues then you you ask what are and, and and particularly are they relevant for the G20 agenda and that's what i'm saying there is a lot of noise then makes the whole dialogue interesting exciting but also less um um less uh, uh productive mm-hmm. um let me also say something about the agenda of the, the G20 you mentioned why all these group uh, working group are useful and so why the engagement groups are, are useful one problem we have with the G20 is that nobody except a few uh, like uh, your colleague colleague John Curtin measures uh track the commitments and the implementation of these commitments mm-hmm. and i'll give you an example in um, at the time of the canberra brisbane uh, summit in 2014 yep. it was a commitment to increase the participation of women to the labor market by 25% you know uh, compared by 2025 to right by 2025 who is right. actually measuring them who is actually bringing the g20 to this commitment to say you know the where is the accountability where is uh, you know who is telling them have you achieved this um nobody we have very few people who collect the data i mean the data are there obviously but there is and this is what the it will be a very important um uh contribution uh, mm-hmm. uh from the uh, engagement group if they could actually measure tracks in their respective area so like the women 20 mm-hmm. and we said for a long time women 20 should actually been able to measure this this achievement being able to tell the g20 where are you know you committed to this where are we are, where is progress and unfortunately it's not happening it's not happening because that this effectively this uh, <coughs> engagement group excuse me are very they are toothless they is yeah. Yeah. basically there is not there not there isn't an infrastructure there are no resources behind them and therefore they cannot uh you know hold the G20 to account okay okay yeah i mean last question i mean it's it's a very interesting one it really relates to both process and uh and outcome do you think i mean i've i've spoken on and off uh, to many colleagues who are involved in the G20 but it includes um uh the right honorable Paul Martin who was the uh prime minister of Canada and finance minister before that and he was very involved in in the creation of uh the leaders uh summit i mean he he ran in fact uh in quotes uh the uh, finance the G20 finance ministers central bankers for several years in the late 90s and in recent discussions he has suggested that maybe his view that there sh- and he had expressed it uh, publicly that there shouldn't be a secretariat 
uh, for the G20 might now he has rethought that view and believes that a secretariat uh, could be very helpful. And it seems to me that it might well be, and I'm interested in your thought, um, that something like a secretariat could assist in this, in the tracking and the accountability uh, by having a unit that, you know, continues and doesn't essentially hop from one host country to another. What do you think about that as, a, as a, an element in the overall effort? Well, this is a long-standing discussion, and we had yeah. it for, for since uh, from from basically 2009 and 2008. Does yes. the G20 need a secretariat? And there are pros and cons, and I don't have, I don't know. There are trade-offs in both. There are trade-offs, obviously sure. trade-offs. So on one hand, it's you don't want the G20 to turn into a, a United Nation kind mm. of body. And that was exactly the mistake done when the G the Women 20 was created and turned into a, a sort of UN uh, body. And that that should be the G20. The good uh, the the strength of the G20 is in its informality, if you like, mm. is the fact that there is a process that is basically is the leaders. We have these let's say fiction, then the leaders get together in an informal way, have dinner together without the constraint of an official multilateral dialogue. Um, and it has worked. And because, it, again, if you think that, if we think that the G20 is at best as um, a crisis committee, then you need to maintain this level of informality and not be constrained by sort of... Uh, you know, a secretariat. On the other hand, there is the issue of legacy and memory. And so, mm -hmm. and every mm -hmm. year the G20 reinvented the wheel because then every chair starts to be, and, you know, you need to be seen that you have some you something new to say or you want to say something new and then you have your own domestic constituents, all that kind of thing. And so a secretariat will actually help containing the agenda, avoiding the overlapping, um, and maintaining a sort of memory or mm -hmm. institutional memory, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. also say, okay, these are your commitments. Have you right. done anything about it? Right, exactly. But it's very difficult to... And, and again, the other downsides of having a secretariat is the usual problem. The G20 is an illegitimate body in the sense it was created at the last minute in a hurry, it was created on the back as a finance minister's uh, gathering at the time of the uh, Asian financial crisis and then was somehow elevated to a leader summit, <laughs> you know, in the middle of the global financial crisis. So there was not much thought about who actually should be, who should be around the table. And so we tend to use a very easy um, criteria say, oh, yeah, the largest economy, 85% of the world economy. But, you know, it's a bit of um, a flimsy uh, a flimsy story because in reality, and if you set up a secretariat with more, let's say, institutional power, then the question is, will become even more evident. So who has the right to be around the table? Uh, and it's not an easy question to solve. While if you keep it as a sort of club, informal, you know, these are people get together, then we invite others, our friends, I think it, 
sort of works in a in a different way. It's not in an it's not an institution basically. Well, I, yes, I, uh, certainly possible. On the other hand, we've been talking about all the elements which have become increasingly institutional within Absolutely. within the G20. So at some point, you kind of got to say to yourself, it is what it is, which is that it you know it has this history now and this uh, and this uh, lengthy development and and you know there was a. a a real desire on the part of some, and particularly, you know, again, uh, former Prime Minister Paul Martin, who wanted a leaders' um, summit um, and did and asked for it for years and, and promoted it for years um, before uh, the actual um, the actual creation uh, at the time of the global financial crisis. We'll just have to see. But I, I want to thank you, Paula, for a really important insights into. This uh, this particular G20 summit, but also uh, more broadly, the operation of the G20 as well. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to join us in the virtual studio. And thank you, Alan. It was really a very interesting conversation, as always. <laughs>